You are listening to Constructing Practice, a podcast from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraus. Thank you for listening. I'm Juan Herreros, professor at Columbia GSAP and principal of Studio Herreros in Madrid. In recent years, we have witnessed a series of changes that redefine the traditional practice and lay the foundation of new types of architectural offices. On November 17, 2017, we hosted the symposium Constructing Practice at Columbia GSAP in New York City. This podcast series includes the 15 films who participated in the symposium and expands the conversation to include many others to tell us how they do what they do. Today, we hear from Thomas Chapman of Local Studio in Johannesburg, South Africa. My firm's called Local Studio. I established the firm in 2012 in Johannesburg, but really got going in terms of full-time practice. I'd left my previous job by 2013. It was sort of five years after graduating from my master's. I um, previously had worked for firms that did very different work to what I do right now. You know, the majority of, of architects in South Africa and Johannesburg specifically where I work practice in the realm of a very exclusive private architecture. So I came from that background and when I started my firm really planned to establish a, something that was working at the other end of the of, of the spectrum. And that's how we started in 2012. The project that got us going, and if, if anybody would like to see it on our website, it's called the Outreach Foundation Community Center. And it was a project that was funded by the National Lottery. We came into contact with this NGO who had received this grant and really didn't know the options they had to do something special with their project, which was uh, situated in a very tough part of downtown Johannesburg called Hillbrow. And we and they had actually had a, appointed an architect and we did a pitch to them, did an all-nighter and did a pitch and they chose to go with us. And, and I think that set the trajectory for the office because uh, what we're proposing was the complete opposite of what they had initially been presented with. And I'll talk a little bit about that. It really relates to what I think the, where this conversation might go, which is about how we work with materials, what is our what kind of programs and architectural typologies were emphasized the question about um, teachers and influences i think i'd mentioned the sort of history and the prevalent trends in architecture in Johannesburg really relate to the architecture as a luxury so and, and i think we're at a time now where the, the practice of architecture really needs to change because the truth of the matter is that in our context and i think in many other contexts working for the wealthiest part of members of society is becoming less and less economically feasible but i nevertheless like i said i worked in that space for several years and was influenced and mentored by some really great, great architects, one of them being South African called Silvio Rec. It's a husband and wife team, and they're responsible for some of the best um, eco-lodge architecture in the continent. And um, I was very fortunate to be able to work with them. My education was really all in Johannesburg at a university called the University of the Witwatersrand. I wasn't a particularly good student. My teachers didn't really like me, but there were one or two that stood out. And I think they were the ones that I think encouraged me to start my practice really early. So I remember going to my first honors year interview and uh, two lecturers uh, were interviewing me and I gave them both business cards for my new practice. And the one was impressed, the other one wasn't. So it was, uh, I think it was always like that. I think uh, this phenomenon where whether I encourage you to, to be independent or encourage you to follow the herd. Unfortunately, that sounds, my education was split very much in that way. So I think I can't really say for sure that, that I'm a product of the universities I went to or the teachers that I had. I think I'm, I'm far more a product of anxiety with the status quo, with, uh, with the way architecture works here, even with the way architectural education works, and really always trying to strive to change direction to establish something new. It sounds arrogant, but I don't feel like there was too much precedent for that. In terms of architectural tradition, I think, um, you know, for me, 
I come from Johannesburg. My entire practice is about Johannesburg. And for those of you who know the history, it's, it's a city established in 1886. And it's the largest inland city in the world, not built next to a body of water. It's built because of a subterranean gold reef. And I think the what makes the city exciting and interesting is the most honest part of the city for me really is its industrial heritage. So it's this very pragmatic, very lean and light architecture with, which responded to this legacy, this mining um, kind of attraction. And um, unfortunately, we've lost the, the kind of the purity of, of that um, along the way as our economy has changed from a mining economy to a, I think what's largely a, now a, a financial services and economy that, that um, built around this emerging markets. Material in the South African context is such a symbolic discussion point. We have this history of, of inequality, we have the history of apartheid, whereby resources and I guess economic uh, opportunities were restricted to a very small portion of the population. And it just so happened that that small portion of the population chose to build in, in masonry construction. This was a result largely of the fact that there's so much cheap labor and we had a lot of space to manufacture this stuff. So for the most part, we're a city and a country that is obsessed and is just so um, kind of uh, set on using masonry construction to the extent that uh, it's a symbol of stability and it's a symbol of prosperity in society. So what we find is that the poorer members of our cities really strive after this incredibly archaic, incredibly slow and heavy material. And I think to me, the, that's something I've always tried to kick against. So without uh, romanticizing it, I think I find huge hope and inspiration in, in the fast-built uh, informal settlements on, on the city's peripheries. I think that they, you know, they use materials that I use regularly, which is steel frame, corrugated sheet cladding. They're built very quickly and they're built very inexpensively and they and they do the job. So I think to me, symbolically, but also practically, I always, I've been drawn from the beginning of my practice to materials which were really tried to um, do things quicker, create better spaces with less effort and less budget. And in the end, what's invariably happened is that these materials that, that we use, which is a lot about translucency, about lightness, tend to symbolize a new direction for architecture. So, and I think it's the pretty standard um, response in many ways as well um, to try and create architecture that contrasts its environment. So when you live, when you work in a city that's all masonry and concrete, to work in, in materials like polycarb, like metal mesh, like corrugated iron, you'll stand out. So I think in short, that's my response to material. And I find that, or the question about material, the, the fact that we've used these alternative materials is also set us apart from other firms, even in many cases where I didn't understand. I mean, I, I've learned most of what I learned about construction through building. So my, the first buildings we built have got many practical problems. I think there's thermal issues, there's acoustic issues. I mean, I don't pretend that those haven't happened or there's, um, but I think the fact that these were very different structures meant that we, we stood out from a very homogenous um, offering um, in terms of architects. And we've, we've been able to attract clients um, because of that. So we've got many projects in the office. We're a firm of, of 12 now staff. I would say that we're not a typical small boutique uh, design practice, I think, where maybe I would be a teacher at a university and then give and do little competitions on the side. I think we're a very hardworking practice. We've got at any given time about um, 30 to 40 projects going on in the office. I would say we work on absolutely anything and everything apart from private houses. It's not that we say no to them, it's just we we've, we never get offered them, which is quite fortunate, I think. We work on schools, we work on affordable housing, we work on, a, on urban design schemes. So it's it's quite a mixed bag. But the project that I would maybe want to talk about is a really interesting project in, in a part of the of downtown Johannesburg called Bramfontein. We were tasked or appointed by the University of the Witwatersrand, which is my alma mater, 
to look critically at uh, what they called an edge strategy. So for those of you who know our city, it's a city of walls. It's a city where boundaries are very set as a response both to societal inequalities, but also as a, as, as a response to the immediate issues of serious crime. So you've got a university of, of 20,000 students that's effectively continues the city grid, but it's got this very hard boundary all the way around. So it's been um, a symbolic boundary and a I mean, it's come to become a very a big issue in, in our city in recent years where there were huge student protests. They've occurred at the same time every year over the last three years. It was under the hashtag fees must fall. And what we found was um, this boundary, this wall was used as a controlling device. It was also, it really represented the, the visions and the, the schism between um, the university as an institution and the students who were just trying to access education. So the university looked critically at this and then appointed us to do this edge study, which was trying to, in some ways, maintain the boundary from, for security reasons, but to try to create a far more welcoming um, interface between the university and the cities. The project is quite practically a redesign of two major pedestrian gateways, entrances into the university. One of these, I mean, it's uh, just to give you an idea of scale, you have to swipe your, a card to get in and there's 20,000 card swipes that go through this entrance every day. So it's a really, a really urban, very intense place. And our proposal is really to turn this, what was it was a very pragmatic gatehouse into a place. Um, so we've incorporated retail facilities, a crafting of public space, some introduction of, of light roofs to try to create shelter and shade and a lot more um, information, both warm bodies and digital information for both students, but also people wanting to learn about the university. So these are prototype projects, which um, and we're doing two of them. They'll be finished in April 2018. And um, I think that they budget wise quite small, but I think um, in terms of program, they represent a really interesting new future for the city of Johannesburg, where, you know, we, we have to say that, that the status quo, which is one of um, of neo-apartheid has to be challenged and it can and when challenging it it can be it can bring about some really exciting new architectural topologies i think that's that's the current project that's most exciting in terms of my practice profile i think you know we really are carving a niche as a practice which works with the and it's it's really not uh, that heroic, but it's the bottom. It would be the bottom 75% of the of the economy. It's a market that is is hugely untapped. You know, if we if we go out saying look, we um, we have to find financially feasible ways of uh, bringing architectural innovation to areas that have never seen it. So it's things like low fee private schooling, which is huge in our in our city, but really very little architectural innovation. Um, bringing innovation to affordable housing, trying to find innovative ways to finance and implement public space upgrades where the city's really um, lagging behind and unable to to do even the most basic sidewalk upgrades because of endemic uh, corruption and um, just. Uh, general inefficiencies. So I think our practice is, I'm very hopeful for the future. I think I'd love to be working across the continent, but right now we've got our hands very full trying to make sense and um, transform this um, very complex city of Johannesburg. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You may also be interested in the GSAP Conversations podcast series available on iTunes. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.